everyone I knew either took drugs, committed crime, or in prison, or all three, do you know what I mean? I didn't know anybody who'd, like, used drag drugs and stuff like that and committed crime and, like, were entrenched in it and had come out the other side and got clean. I didn't know anybody like that. Uh, when I started meeting a couple of people who were like that, it were like that paradigm shift, if you will, where I thought, do you know what, if they can do it and they're not special, they'll, they'll freely admit they're not special, they've just put certain bits of action in around their life and stuff like that and change things and now they're living an all right way of life, substance free. Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy and this is the Locked Up Living podcast where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life. We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, 6 o'clock UK time for a fresh podcast. I met David Bailiff whilst visiting an approved premises hostel when he appeared and produced a bow, arrows and a target and proceeded to encourage people, including me, to have a go. David is a worker with Active Lancashire who describe themselves in this way. Active Lancashire is the strategic lead for sport and physical activity in Lancashire. We connect with like-minded local organisations and individuals to help bring about active lifestyles. We believe that sport and physical activity have the power to influence behaviours and develop skills which can have a broader positive impact on people's lives. So, pleased to meet you David and you're going to talk a bit about that. Yep, nice to meet you both as well. Yeah, good to have you on David, Uh, great to get this chance to meet with you. Could we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how, how your career pathway's gone? Uh, I'll probably have to jump to the beginning, if you will. Uh, I, I were I brought up around strong strong moral values and stuff like that. I'd working class parents and everything. Uh, from an early age, I, I, I never felt like I belonged, if you will. Not not to my family, as far as like at school and stuff like that were concerned, if you will. I always felt like I were on peripherals of things. Uh, I lacked in confidence and stuff like that as well. Uh, I wasn't... I was a pretty intelligent kid. I was in higher sets at school and stuff like that. Even though I never did my own work, I managed to... With what I did in lessons, I managed to maintain in set ones and twos and stuff like that. Uh, I got bullied a bit of some lads who were older than me so I started knocking about in a different area which I knew they were fearful of and that's when I got in- introduced to drugs if you will uh, it started off cannabis and then it progressed over years till like 16 year old uh, had a fair lengthy criminal record I was well known to police and stuff like that and I, I, I started using heroin so from age of like 17 up to age of 27 that 10 year period i spent like six and a half year of it behind bars in and out for dishonesty offenses and stuff like that and and uh like minor assaults 
from age of 27 to age of 41 I managed to stay out of jail with skin of my teeth because I weren't as prolific when I was on bail and uh, I lowered the severity of my offences down as well but I still had a drug habit even though I was being prescribed an heroin substitute I was still using on top and stuff like that uh, I could get a few days cleaning but I, I never knew how to like live life on life's terms and maintain that sobriety if you will and being clean from drugs and other substances uh, I got clean at age of 41 I'd been clean probably about six months or something like that and I felt miserable and I thought I ain't got clean to get miserable and uh, a five-a-side session and a badminton session set up and I started attending that and that were put on by a challenge through sport initiative so from when I was at school in my early days and I was a really sporty kid like in football team and stuff like that till I started scarving and smoking weed and messed that up it was like rediscovering my youth all over again if you will and it was like having a bit of fun in recovery I was well tapped into fellowship as far as Narcotics Anonymous and AA is concerned and stuff like that but uh, it, that was like the fun element of my recovery and I got uh, asked to volunteer so I started to volunteer just taking a few registers of uh, when people turned up to sessions and stuff to cut a long story short uh, the support worker relapsed and didn't come back so we ended up covering sessions and this lady came over from uh, the, the organisation who ran it like the manager if you will and as soon as she turned up, I, I just said that. I said, I know your face. I said, did you used to go to Townley School? And she went, no, no, I'm a bit older than you. And I asked a few other things, and it were left at that. And she'd arranged to pick me up a few weeks later to go and sign all these proper forms and stuff and DBS checks and everything. And, I, and as she were leaving, I just said, excuse me. And she turned round. I said, I just hope I ain't offended you past. You know, like to had to pinch a car or something like that. And uh, she picked me up two weeks later and we were travelling down motorway to uh, Leyland's head office. And she went, you still don't recognise me, do you? And I went, no. She went, first half a dozen times I met you, I arrested you. And so, like, straight away I just apologised. I said, because I must have been either heavy, heavily under influence or really angry when when you arrested me and stuff and she went putting it politely you were horrible and, that, and that's how I ended up doing what I do now with Active Lancashire and stuff trying to go on I was just going to backtrack a bit I was just wondering what was the you know because it sounds like you battled with substances for quite a period of time what was it what you know what helped you stay on that path a bit more when you were 41 why do you think you were more successful at that point uh, I suppose it really got serious for me if you will as far as uh, like everyone I knew either took drugs committed crime or in prison or all three do you know what I mean I didn't know anybody who'd like used drag drugs and stuff like that and committed crime and like were entrenched in it and had come out the other side and got clean I didn't know anybody like that uh, when I started meeting a couple of people who were like that it was like that paradigm shift if you will where I thought do you know what if they can do it and 
they're not special they'll, they'll freely admit they're not special they've just put certain bits of action in around their life and stuff like that and change things and now they're living an all right way of life substance free but one of tipping points for me was at 39 year old I was three months shy of my 40th and I went to doctors for a routine chest x-ray because I kept coming down with chest infections which a lot of it were to do with smoking heroin and that on tinfoil uh, and, and crack pipes and that but when I went it was like oh you need to go up to hospital and get a chest x-ray and this and that and I know from the results of my chest x-ray they didn't mention it at the time but there was that much got, uh, shadowing on me right lung they thought I had lung cancer uh, after going for a CT scan and a camera in there and all that lot they ruled out TB and all other things and stuff like that and they went to be perfectly honest we don't know what's done the damage something's been in done the damage and left uh, but it's irreversible so I had like scar tissue on my lung that's what the big shadow were and stuff like that and I thought things have just got to change uh, I put the managed to put the drugs down but the only toy what I had left in my pram to play with if you will what I didn't think I had a problem with was alcohol and I ended up, if you're a kid and you've got one toy, you're going to play with it a lot. And I did do, I ended up drinking a lot. Uh, till it was like waking up in the morning, cans of Tenant Super and this. Uh, that went on for a few months, which eventually led me back to the heroin. Uh, I suppose smoking the heroin meant I didn't do any like sort of rattle, if you will, off the alcohol. Because I'd got back into the drugs and tablets and stuff like that. Uh, I'd been discharged from services, but I was desperate to get back to like being clean off the, off the substances, if you will. So I, I actually went out, bought some Subutex, got on them, stable, and weeded myself off them in space of about five weeks. But during that five weeks, I did something I'd never ever done before. I started taking on suggestion what other people were telling me, those who'd got clean, and I started going to groups. So I would go into groups at my local drug service, treatment service, I would go into anything and everything what I could tap into in community. If it were free, I tapped into it. If it were a craft group, and it were just a few people from recovery who went there, and it were a safe environment, and we'd have a brew and a natter, and I might be making some cards or something like that, uh, or these ceramic bowls, what we did patterns on and got them glazed and everything and stuff. Uh, it was anything to get me out my own head where I weren't sat at home in my own head on my own if you will and eventually after like three months I'd built a big uh, like a week of structure up if you will a regular week of structure where I could go out my house at nine in the morning and not have to go back behind my door till about 10 o'clock because I would go into like between 17 and 19 different groups and meetings a week I wasn't on probation or anything like that, uh, so it, it were like it were all voluntary. I weren't being put with a sticker roll. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there was the kind of like the shock of your health health issues it was a bit of a wake up call in terms of what thinking about what really matters to you and causing a bit of a, a paradigm shift, as you said. And then, and then also having all these structured 
things in place so you had some routine that was within your control rather rather than stuff that was imposed on you that's brilliant and I, th I think that must be quite an inspirational story for other people to encounter because it was it was striking that you said um, you know until around that age you hadn't really met people who'd been entrenched in that kind of world and and come out of it so it's hard to see those possibilities yeah and and, and I, go on no I, I was gonna say like uh, one of my key workers who I ended up with like when I'd got off the substances where I ended up drinking every day and stuff the key worker I had at the time, it relayed you wide years way back in the day and stuff like that. Even committed crime where you got clean and stuff. So it weren't just someone who'd like got the t-shirt and the video and done it and stuff. It was someone who I physically knocked about with back in active addiction and stuff like that. I imagine that could have been quite a powerful experience. Yeah, it was. Well, it's it's like, I know it's in literature, strength and hope and stuff like that, a message of strength and hope when it comes to fellowship and stuff, but that's exactly what that was. And you, you're now involved with Active Lancashire. Uh, can you say a little bit about what the organisation does and what your, what your role is? Yeah, uh, so we're Lancashire-wide, uh, so... We've got the east, central and north side, so we're, we're as high up as like Lancaster and Morecambe and Fleetwood, uh, Blackpool, and then coming across central, so you've got like Preston, Leyland and Chorley, down to east, so you've got like Blackburn, Accrington, Burnley and Pendle and stuff, we're all scattered about, and Active Lancashire is all about getting people active, uh, getting better active lifestyles promoting uh, positive behaviour change but a branch from that if you will so it's like a project within it's like a little project an organisation within an organisation if you will you've got CSI which is Challenge Free Sport Initiative and that's where I've always worked on and been linked into right from a participant went through the volunteer pathway up until where I were working part time and then my hours gradually got uh, extended and until eventually I were working full time and I have been for a few years now and it's all about getting people active, building that trust and rapport around activities and trying to promote some positive behaviour change so there's also a lot of signposting what's involved as far as linking and bridging people into other services and stuff like some of the lads who've come football sessions the only constant bridge if you will what they've had to other services has been turning up to that weekly football session and playing football so from that, it's trying to link them into drug treatment services if they're not linked into them. Uh, it's not all about substance misuse, but all the people who come to our sessions, it's either uh, substance misuse background, uh, offending behaviour, so they're either already entrenched in criminal justice system or they're on peripherals of it, if you will. And then you've got like the mental health side of it as well, and like coming off back of COVID, you've got the social isolation issue as well. And how do you get how do you get referrals? How do people find their way into your service? Depending which project it is, which they all interlink with Challenge Through Sport Initiative anyhow. But say for instance, we've got a United Together project where we get we have a direct referral pathway from probation and stuff like that uh, 
and that's where we're linked into football clubs across Lancashire as well. So we have seven football clubs on board with that. We're united together. And the ultimate aim is to try and get them linked into their existing community projects and stuff like that, what they have going on. Within reason, if it can be done, as far as like risk management's concerned and stuff, because of some people's offences and that, there's certain things what they can't be linked into. But we can still support them one-to-one -one and stuff like that and find other avenues where we can get them linked in for that extra support, if you will, around their like personal needs and stuff. Do you think, um, having lived experience, do you think that's made a difference in terms of making the service um, easier to access for some groups? Because they're quite challenging, us... quite challenging groups often, aren't they, That where people don't trust authority figures and service providers, and yet it sounds like you're managing to work successfully with them. The, the beauty of that is, as well, uh, like you said, there is a lot of mistrust around it. I was one of those people where I had a mindset when it came to authority, so anything to do with criminal justice system, whether it be police, probation, magistrates, Crown Court judges, whatever, prison officers, uh, it, they were all part of that same corrupt pot, if you will. Uh, but doing the job role, what I've been doing, even job centre workers and stuff like that, like job coaches and that, but doing the job role, what I do now, I get to see those people on a totally different level. Uh, like, for instance, we put some mental health training on for job coaches at the different job centres. And they were on it for like two, three days. And they said, look, Dave, come in and just talk to them. How, how it is like coming through that, that uh, system, if you will. So I, I let them know what, how I'd been made to feel and how I felt and like... How my mindsets was as well when I were when I were having to come in and sign on and stuff like that, and it was an eye opener for them, but it was also a massive eye opener for me because I got to see that do you know what these people are just human beings. Their hands are bound by red tape at times, but as long as you're not peeing in the pocket and you're working with them, they can work with you. They're not out to shaft you and stuff. And it was same with United together. There's, there's that programme, isn't there, Little Britain, the only gay in the village. And I felt like the only criminal in the village when I had to go into these probation officers and start mixing with these probation officers and trying to like get referrals out of them and stuff like that. I had them up there on a pedestal as all academics and stuff like that, and it wasn't the case. It was in some cases, but as far as human beings... They're just people like ourselves who have the same issues going on in their life and when you get talking to them and that, it's like last thing they want to do is breach someone. Far too much paperwork involved for a kick-off. So then when I'm trying to engage these different groups and cohorts of people into activities and stuff and the projects, it's like I can challenge those mindsets. I've, I've been there and had my own mindsets challenged and flipped on its head, do you know what I mean? And I think in some circumstances, instances, sorry, I, I can challenge people a bit stronger than what somebody who hadn't been through that past, if you will, can do and get away with. I really liked your description, David, earlier on when you were talking about uh, making up your own timetable and ensuring that it was really packed. And I think that's such a sort of powerful message to people. That, of course, one thing that's essential is to have the determination 
to do that um, and then of course being able to yeah root out the various activities that you could could uh, join in so really important point that anyway the last time we met was in a garden in was it Blackburn uh, possibly it, it, yes yeah through premises at Blackburn yeah. barbecue <laughs> yeah and it was about 90 degrees or 95 yeah. degrees or something very hot and you you produced this bow and arrow um you in fact you brought the bow and arrow along with you and you set up a target what was the point of that uh well the barbecue was on it with nice weather but it's it's not spear tip archery it's soft archery but uh it's like a pop-up activity when I can basically uh, take into different premises and stuff like that. Like, our fowl sweet being approved premises and stuff like that, we can struggle sometimes because of the venues what we have elsewhere, trying to, because of risk and stuff, to get them lads out into it. So it's like more or less taking activity to them, if you will. And it's... It's one of those simple activities where anyone can have a go and you can start building those little conversations in and around that activity and build that trust and rapport. Find out what other stuff people have got going on, what other needs they've got, and then if at all possible, we can signpost or link them in or directly through our own services what we have going on, address those additional needs. It's, it's, it's a tool, if you will, the archery. Yeah, I can see that. So, would this be fairly typical of your approach then? Does this characterise your approach of finding a way in to meet with people? Yeah, like, um, part of that project, if you will, it was Crime and Arm Reduction Initiative. So I had to link into HMOs, all houses of multiple occupancy. So your main hostels are in and around Blackburn Town Centre. And they were like, I think there's about seven of them, the main ones, if you will. Uh, and they, they could, uh, in all fairness, they're a chaotic bunch. They're an odd target's the wrong word, but they're an odd target audience, if you will. So taking an activity directly into their premises, if you will, where they can literally roll out of bed and come down to the dining hall and have a do at it, it 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 would just uh, the obvious option, if you will, to try and get people engaged, and then it's trying to when you've got those conversations going with people and stuff like that, trying to get them out of that environment into a, it where we've got other activities running. Where, where did you learn the skills to do, to do that? Because that, for me, that would be very challenging, going and working with a group of people who probably aren't that keen to do anything with you. Do you know what? Chocolate bars. <laughs> Can always be a winner as well. A brew, a brew and a bar of chocolates and stuff. And it's like, no, you can have it. Get it, get have a do on that archery. You can have a Mars bar and that. But no, d just little things like that, if you will. And in all fairness, it, they're my kind of people. <laughs> yeah. It sounds I, like you I, might have to be quite creative um, in terms of creating those uh, those little initiatives to spark some interest in the first place. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of them as well. I, I, like, I'm a firm believer, but in, you, molly coddling and sympathy can kill. You get empathy off me all day long. But when it comes to, like, 
taking a bit of responsibility for your circumstances you find yourself in and making a few little changes, putting a bit of action in and stuff like that and how you can change things and that. But uh, a lot of it is challenging those mindsets. Because hmm. a, a lot are in blame game, if you will, where they're blaming every man and his dog for, for the situation they find themselves in and that. And sometimes they have a lot of empathy. They can be a, a, like a victim of circumstances, if you will. But majority of time, it's it's through their own doing, if you will. But that's when you've got to like have that trauma-informed approach, if you will, as well, where you've got to like not necessarily look at the behaviours what are presenting the cell in front of you. But why are they going out and doing that? Why have they done this? Why have they done that? And why do they feel like that and think like that? It, it's trying to dig a little deeper, if you will. But you can only do that once you've built that initial trust and rapport with people and then over the space of time, weeks, sometimes months, they'll end up opening up. Like when I've had people in car taking them to football sessions, or should I say bringing them back, and I've dropped everyone off and I've got one lad left in car who I'm dropping off and they'll just divulge something to me and it's like, wow, where's that come from? Do you know what I mean? It's like... I didn't have a clue that that were going on or that that had gone on in their life and stuff. So you you mentioned a few moments ago that these were your kind of people and and I remember earlier you'd commented that you'd listened to the um, Ray Bishop podcast and uh, identified with quite a lot of, of that. So what does that mean to be your kind of people? I don't, uh, what was someone on about over there? Oh, like, somebody who I were talking to, like, a, a, um, they, they, they're not part of my nucleus family, if you will. They're uh, like a second cousin. And the, the uh, services they're working and around, it's uh, people who are mentally handicapped. So it's like adults and stuff like that. And I said, do you know something? I said, I'd really, really struggle with that, working with those people. And it's nothing against those people or anything like that. I don't mean that. What I was getting at is I will feel like a fish out of water. Whereas I said, you put me in a room full of murderers and convicted criminals and stuff like that, and I'm, I'm, at, I'm at ease. I'm okay with that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't know. It's just... Yeah. Okay. So you f you feel comfortable with that kind of in that kind of environment with that kind of group of people? Yeah, I can understand that. So, do you think uh, doing this sort of work has helped you with your own personal life? It it's helped me with my personal development, if you will, and stuff like that. Because there's there's had to be certain things I've had to do to get to the stage of where I'm at. Uh, but yeah, challenging those mindsets, what I had and stuff like that. Like, who'd, who'd have thought it, even police officers are human beings, do you know what I mean? Because you get good and bad in every job, do you know? It don't matter what the job is and stuff like that. But like, we've organised a, a football tournament over here at Blackburn where we got the police to put a team in. Cause, and that all that stemmed from... A lad from one at HMOs, one at hostels, had gone up to uh, accident and emergency. He'd got in a state, kicking off around his meds to do his mental health and stuff like that. 
it could have really gone sideways how it were going but one of the workers from that uh, HMO turned up there got talking to this police officer and it got diffused and stuff like that and it was sorted and he was pretty impressed on how they dealt with it, this staff member from uh, this HMO and it was like why don't we have a game of football against each other you know to break down some barriers and smash some of that stigma it snowballed so we ended up with Blackburn Council putting a team in Public Health England put a team in Police put a team in uh, a few different HMOs did the local rehab over here did and uh, it, 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 it were a success hmm. so what do you see as being the future for you then David? Uh, do you know what I'd love to get into prison <laughs> But they keep knocking me back on clearance. I should have been there every day this week, you know, in Preston Prison, and they've knocked me back again on clearance. I haven't... It, on 28th of February coming, I'll have been out of prison 22 years. I haven't been nowhere near a courtroom for, like, 12 years and stuff, and it's like, come on. What, when, when, when do you prove that people do get second chances and that? We're, we're trying to sell this... Uh, idea that everyone deserves a second chance and this and that it's like you're not even letting us go in there and do the job role what what we're being paid to do as well do you know what i mean i don't want a key to be walking around on landings i just want to be go how to go in on education block and do this thing with these 10 lads who've been selected and stuff to do this week-long course what's it like having to cope with that because you, like you say you've you know you've you've spent all this time uh, transforming your life and becoming someone who's law-abiding and but then you're still being treated like the person you were over 12 years ago what, what, what's that like at this present time yeah because i only found out friday that i've been knocked back again to be going in all this week after a right long process where vetting had knocked me back after and asking for all additional information this and that and I'd sent it and in back of my head an idea, I had that good idea they were going to knock me back but anyhow it were a different governor as well this time so when they've knocked me back the governor said no 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 I want this sorting so the additional paperwork was sent in what were meant to go from one desk to another to this governor's desk there's been some mad delay in it not landing on his desk for him to okay it uh, so it's too late to sort it now for this one, but uh, it's like my mindset is has it been purpose de uh, delayed and it's like I'm, I'm a bit fed up of my expectations getting built up my hopes getting built up and stuff like that and then just getting them crushed again and it's like do you know what it, it is a, a like a, a shitty system if you will do you know what I mean where it's not it's not true you don't always get a second chance and stuff but that's only because it's last couple of days where i'm getting my head around it but yeah it, it yeah it's like a sucker punch if you will i think that's that's a natural human response to that kind of circumstances like you say the whole system is supposed to be about about helping people transform their lives and give them a second chance, but actually, if something's still being held against you, uh, it's yeah. natural that you're that you're hurt and annoyed about that. 
And I, and I think I, I could help make a difference on that thing, what we do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm sure that's correct. And that's what's so frustrating, really, because there, you know, there are quite a number of good people like yourself who do excellent work within prisons, but who really struggle getting in to do it. I, have, I got in. It, it's like a few years ago when we were doing the first one before COVID came along. And I went in on a visitor's pass and we went in on landing and stuff on the wing I used to be locked up in and stuff and up into chapel where we did this original forum when it was starting up a pilot, the, the United Together project. And uh, we spoke to like 20 lads on this group, there were a few of us in there. Not a problem. And then I put in for like full clearance and stuff like that and it's like, no, you can't have it and you can't have a visitor's pass to come in now either which I found a bit like, it was a bit soul-destroying at the time, and then so like a few years later to get like pushed to put in for that clearance again and just get knocked back. But what I will say is, yeah, even though I'd been out at the time about 18 years or something, when I went back in that prison, it was the same taste and oppressive smell and atmosphere, if you will. Nothing had changed whatsoever in that regard. Mm. Yeah, I think we both know what you mean by that, David. Yeah. So, I mean, disappointment is is a often a feature of the uh, criminal justice system, and you work with a very challenging group of people uh, who sometimes don't convey a great sense of hopefulness. How do you keep yourself cheerful and buoyant? Some some of these lads like who turn up to the sessions like the the football sessions I'm on about now because it's predominantly lads who come to them and stuff. It's like obviously there's a lot of knockbacks if you will when you see people and struggling and re relapses and stuff like that. But the ones you do see that positive behaviour change around and stuff like that and the different things what they end up. Uh, taking part in and you can see that personal development going on and stuff like there's a few lads now who like there's more than a few but there's a couple of lads who i'm thinking of in particular who are in full-time work but they still have the shift pattern sorted and the rotor so when they can when they are off they can get to a football session and link in with lads do you know what i mean and i, I think that's good because it's like contagious recovery if you will so you get encouragement. So, Sorry, David. So, so that the the buzz and the kick I get out of seeing people like that and stuff, and they still have that. They still link in with me. Like I've participants who become friends over years and stuff like that. Who were who were in me other phone, my personal phone and stuff. It, it's do you know it, it is. It's good. Great. Well, thanks very much indeed. David, it's been great uh, seeing you again and talking about this. And, uh, well, thanks very much indeed. I just thought I haven't chatted a lot of nonsense. Not oh, no, not at, not at all. And what you can really hear is your passion and commitment for the work that you're doing and the fact that you're managing to reach and touch people who, for a whole host of good reasons, haven't found it very easy to, to access services before so it sounds like you're doing amazing work.